Welcome to our Harvard Macy Institute podcast. Connecting our Harvard Macy community and discussing health professions, education topics and literature. So welcome to our next Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today I'm joined by John Norsini to talk about systems of assessment. This podcast is part of the upcoming uh, systems of assessment that is being run virtually again uh, in late October. And the paper that we're going to be talking about is written by John, and the title of it is What's Next? Developing Systems of Assessment for Educational Settings. And this was in Academic Medicine uh, July last year. So, John Norsini, quite a big name in assessment, as many of you will know. He is a faculty member of the Harvard Macy Systems of Assessment program for many years. He's the immediate past president and CEO of FAMA, uh, widespread keynote speaker. But one thing I also want to pick out, because it is a pretty big thing, in 2014, he was the Karolinska Institute Prize winner for research in medical education. Uh, well, with all that in mind, how are you, John? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, and you, we're chatting virtually over many, many kilometers, but uh, I guess most of us are doing that these days anyway, aren't we? We are indeed. It's uh, yes. Not exactly where we wanted to be, but it's better than the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. We're very fortunate to have the technology we have at our disposal. All right. Well, we're going to uh, go through this article, and John's going to give us a little few insights into some of the motivations behind the writing, uh, as well as I'm going to prompt him for some of the answers to the questions that he poses in the paper. But to give you an idea, this is a uh, commentary piece, as I said, in academic medicine, and it really takes the emphasis away from thinking about some of the technical aspects of each individual assessment items, and in the spirit of the Harvard Macy program says, well, what about thinking about assessment more broadly? Uh, partly programmatic assessment, but he takes a really broad, broad ranging view here in thinking about how do these assessment methods, methodologies and programs all fit together in a bigger picture. So, um, John, give us a little sense of the background to this. Why write an article like this? Well, uh, I was really fortunate uh, many years ago to be asked by folks at the Ottawa conference to write a paper on criteria for good assessment. And so what I did is I gathered some of the really smartest people around the world together and listened to what they had to say. And we put together in 2010, 2011, a framework for good assessment. Um, but in that, and partially under the influence of the Harvard Macy program, we slipped in a little, a little, a little line or two that basically said, you know, someday when these are redone, uh, we need to think about systems of assessment, not just individual assessments. So I was, uh, I was honored again to be selected uh, in 2017 or 18 to redo it, and so we got to systems of assessment, uh, and I think. Uh, it is in part, certainly in large part, for, for me personally, uh, a result of being a faculty member in Harvard Macy. I've, I've uh, learned a lot, uh, certainly, certainly more than I've taught. And uh, this is one of the things that I've learned and, and learned, is, uh, learned about the importance of. Mm. And I think from what you're saying there, this idea about cross-fertilization and hearing from others and this being a collaborative approach is... Uh, quintessential if we're thinking about these big picture problems, isn't it? There's no one 
perspective that really can grasp all of this. That, that's a, that's absolutely right. I completely agree. And so the idea for us uh, was to cast the net as broadly as we possibly could uh, in terms of thinking about systems. Um, yeah. All right. So in this article, John tells us that there's four areas that need work, uh, summative assessment, formative assessment, thinking about assessment beyond the individual, and then assessment in a very challenging concept about complex adaptive systems. So I thought we might go through each of those. Would it be possible before we go into this, if we could just take a little step back and and let me clarify a little bit of terminology? Yeah, please do. Okay. So uh, sometimes uh, there's lots of conversation, as there should be these days, around programmatic assessment. Uh, And I've heard sometimes that people use the programmatic assessment program that's, you know, beautifully done by the by by the folks at Maastricht. But they use that interchangeably with systems of assessment. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to to be clear that um, in my way of thinking and I think in their way of thinking as well, I've talked to a couple of them about it. the programmatic assessment that they've proposed is actually a special case, a special system of assessment. It's a system of assessment where uh, all assessments are summative. They're all low stakes. They're all intended to provide feedback and a decision is made at the end of the day, aggregating all of that. Um, But that's just one system of assessment. You could conceive of many different systems for many different purposes, some that are all formative or some that are focused on admission to medical school. So I think that I think that I just want to be a little clear about the terminology to start because I think we confuse ourselves a little bit. So I wanted to to sort of lay the groundwork by by saying that in my view and I, I think the view of others, systems of assessment are big and broad is incorporates numerous systems while programmatic assessment is a specific system that the Maastricht folks have designed in a lovely system. Mm, And that's a very nice clarification. Thank you. And I think one of the things I would encourage our listeners is if you do read the full text of this article, there's a a bunch of key references and you talk about Case van der Vluten and Lambeth Schuur's work uh, and some of the publications that you reference there uh, would be obviously great reading for people to find out a little bit more, particularly about their work, as you said, on programmatic assessment. So starting, John, with this summative assessment, um, you know, this is what people largely think about. Uh, tests, uh, it's very tangible. You have the end of program assessment at medical school. Uh, why do you think we're still so attached to this, uh, despite the fact that, you know, these days we can just look up most answers in our phones? Well, you can't look up most answers in your phone. You know better than that. <laughs> uh, so, so um, first of all, I'm a, I'm a big fan of summative assessment. I, I, it's absolutely essential. You have to do this to protect patients and to protect institutions, uh, to make sure that you've done the work you 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 intended to do as an educator. Um, so, I, I think summative assessment is critically important. On the other hand, I think we've way overdone it. I think that any time somebody gets assessed. That's an obvious exaggeration, but most of the time when folks are being assessed, it's a decision is being made. And so the entire culture of assessment has grown up around that. They're making a judgment about me kind of attitude 
Uh, and I, I think that's I think that's troublesome. I think that undermines formative assessment, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I think it it has created a culture where feedback is more challenging, because all feedback is predicated on assessment of some some form or another. Um, so I, I think I think we've gone too far. Mm. So so I my 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 feeling is, and my sense is that we can get away with a lot less summative assessment than we're doing right now. Um, not every test we give needs to be summative. You can, if you're doing a course, you could do one or two summative assessments and that might be enough. Or you could do a summative assessment across several courses that combine the material in some fashion. So the bottom, the bottom line is that I think we're just doing way too much summative assessment and I don't think it's helping anybody at this point. We're not making our decisions that much better. Uh, and we're not, we're, we're, we're using resources that we could probably use elsewhere, uh, to help to help drive learning. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing, isn't it? The connection between the assessment and learning and assessment of a summative or evaluative nature is so powerful. And I certainly have trainees that are too busy studying for their exams to come to teaching. And I just take a breath and go, what has the world come to uh, if we're sort of putting all these effort into these exams? Um, I know that we're not jumping right into techniques, but I think in the present climate, one of the things that's been quite interesting is the, I guess, pressure to write good summative assessments because of the move to open book exams with uh, virtual exams and COVID and the pandemic constraints. And that's probably a good thing, isn't it? Because people have put more pressure on writing assessment items that you can't just look up in a book and go, the answer is X. Yes, that that, that, is, that is wonderful if those questions are written. Uh, and my experience has been that folks don't write those questions very often. They're very hard to write and they're really hard to do well. Uh, and my, my concern at the moment is that uh, we're not doing the secure examination piece as well as we need to ultimately. Um, mm. So I'm, I do have some concerns about that. Uh, but if, if, there, if you can write a bunch of great open book questions, that would, be, that would be wonderful. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, we're talking books and we're talking knowledge here or judgment. Um, but I, I, you know, this standardized patients are used for OSCEs are used for summative purposes. There are a whole variety of different different methods that are used for summative purposes. They could all be used for formative purposes as well, and we we haven't spent the time or the energy to develop them and develop them well. Mm. Um, so, I, I open book is great, but it really puts a puts a there's a real price on trying to get the kind of quality material you need in order to make good decisions. Mm, and just to be really practical about this, because I know we've got a variety of listeners with variable interest uh, in assessment, that's the difference between asking a question at that very recall level of Bloom's taxonomy where you say, what is the commonest cause of X versus giving, for instance, a case vignette and asking people to distill out key points of information and come up with a most likely diagnosis or putative management plan. Absolutely. I, I mean, even even in the day, um, 20, 30 years ago, uh, we were we were working hard to move the board examinations. I worked at the American Board of Internal Medicine for a while um, and we were working hard to move away from the fact based questions to questions that required some sort of synthesis or some sort of judgment. And we were we were reasonably successful by the end of the time of moving the multiple choice questions in that direction. Most of them were scenario-based. 
All of that is really important. So I think even independent of the current push, because of uh, because everything needs to be online, but even independent of that, there's been there has been and should be an emphasis on the synthesis and judgment questions, and not the factual recall of knowledge questions. Mm-hmm. That's right, and but hard to write, as you say. So one of the things that you mentioned before, John, was about summative assessment and the important to reassure the public that we've actually got competent and safe healthcare professionals. Uh, One of the things that you've written about in other articles, this concept of micro-credentialing, the idea of actually assessing for a specific task in mind. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how that fits into this picture of summative assessment? So um, in some ways, it's a little independent of, of the idea of micro-credentialing. Let me, let me give an idea. I spent a few years of my life working in an, in an institution that was providing micro-credentials. Uh, and it was politically relatively controversial uh, because it didn't sit neatly within any particular specialty of medicine, nor did it sit neatly in medicine itself. So it crossed healthcare professional boundaries. And I'll give you one example of that, ECG reading skills. So that was, we, we offered a, a micro-credential on that, and it was open to a whole variety of healthcare providers who had appropriate kinds of background for, for, for doing that. So in the, in, the, in the context of micro-credentialing, there's an, it, just as with a full medical degree, there's an educational piece and then there's an assessment piece. And the assessment piece can be of two kinds. It, it can be of one kind, which is formative to help the learning, but there should also be a summative piece at the end, just as we do now in, in our courses, to make sure that, that, that a, a, an appropriate standard has been attained uh, in order to protect the public. Now, part of the reason I like these little pieces is that they can be shared across professional boundaries. Uh, and specialty boundaries and subspecialty boundaries. So both vertically and horizontally, I think they can be shared. And in the case of inter- interdisciplinary practice, I think I think these kinds of credentials could be very useful in 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 a, in a team kind of setting. So that's one thing. Second thing is that throughout the careers of healthcare professionals, they acquire new skills, and there is at the moment no good way to recognize the acquisition of those skills. Um, so, uh, when laparoscopic surgery came along, there was no good way at the beginning to figure out who should be doing laparoscopic surgery and who shouldn't. Uh, and there are myriad examples of this. So the idea would be that these, these credentials could also be useful as a, as a healthcare provider matures and acquires additional skills and wants recognition for those skills. So I, I think there's, there's, some good, I, there's some good reasons to like micro-credentials. Micro they obviously are not going to replace the entire educational experience, um, but, but properly chosen, I think that they can be a useful uh, addition to what it is we're doing. Mm, and I, I guess this invites the question that is probably relevant to summative assessment broadly, which is the whole just the sum of the parts? Or are there intangibles in between that might fall between the cracks of these, each individual piece that we think adds up to the total? Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons I, I love the competencies. I think they've done a, a wonderful job 
drawing attention to things that we didn't assess 30 or 40 years ago. So I, you know, I am a big fan of the competencies. Uh, on the other hand, uh, learning the competencies and being tested on each individual competency doesn't necessarily mean you can put them all together at the end of the day. So there really needs to be a place for integrated assessment across the competencies. And in sort of my little worldview, um, the, 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 the competencies make the most sense early in training, during the acquisition of skills, and later in training, and certainly in graduate training and postgraduate training. Uh, I think, I think the, the nature of assessment needs to shift away from the competencies and towards integrated performances. Mm-hmm. And I guess relevant to that as well, uh, I remember going to a talk by Ian Curran a few years ago, where one of the problems, of course, with having competence assurance and by implication, minimum criteria for performance, uh, is there a risk that people stop aspiring to excellence because they're just being good enough? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I, that stuff doesn't bother me much. You know, the world is full of people who like to do things well. Um, yes, there are some people who are just getting by, uh, but I don't think I'm not worried about that. I, if you know, if we could get everybody up to a really high level of competence, I think I'd be just as happy. You'd be happy. All right, sounds good. All right, well, let's uh, shift our attention then to the second issue that you have here, which relates to formative assessment. And perhaps uh, certainly in my world, the most obvious example of this has been the rise of workplace-based assessment uh, where we have multiple lower stakes sampling of people's performance uh, and in context, we think. And yet I think it's fair to say it's had very patchy success around the world. It seems like it's a great theory that then has struggled in its application. Um, Tell us a little bit about your thoughts and your provocations in the article on this point. So um, one of the side effects of the culture of assessment we've created using only summative assessments is that it's driven people to, and it's driven the culture in a particular direction so that faculty don't want to waste their time on things that aren't going to count, and neither do students or trainees. And as a consequence of that, formative assessment is done and done rarely. And in particular, in the graduate setting, uh, everything, folks say it's low stakes. There's no such thing. I mean, I know what they're saying, and yes, it's true. That's not one event and stretched out over time, but but trainees know that it's summative. And if they know it's summative, their reaction to it is going to be very different than if it's formative. So in my view, the first thing that really needs to happen is that there needs to be a culture shift. And further, I believe that the culture shift needs to start with the faculty. So if you look around the world that where a workplace-based assessment is working well, it's because the faculty are doing it well. Workplace-based, there's nothing, there's nothing, workplace-based assessment is not rocket science. There's not, there's not a lot of there there, okay? There are a bunch of forms and there's some observation and you decide on what you want to watch and make judgments about, okay? So this is not, this is not rocket science by any stretch of the imagination, um, and and uh, unfortunately, when it fails, it fails entirely because the faculty don't care about it. It's all about the faculty. So mm-hmm. it, it really highlights to me the importance of faculty development 
and having faculty lead the culture change that says that part of the assessment process is to provide you feedback and to help your learning, not to make a decision about you. Mm. Yes, and uh, you mentioned forms. That seems to have been surprising to me that people have spent a long time researching and arguing about whether they need a three-point scale, a nine-point scale. But I think what you're saying is this is about why you're doing it, not how you're doing it. A- absolutely, and there is nothing there is nothing more useless than spending time developing forms. But you know, it's the only thing that people can control, and because <laughs> because they can control it, they figure that if they write it on a form, the faculty will certainly do it. Well, the faculty doesn't. I mean, I don't know about faculty elsewhere, but in the U.S., they certainly they don't they don't pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. The whole mm-hmm. purpose of the form is to remind the faculty what it is you think you want them to look at. Um, mm. Doesn't stop us having a year-long revision of the forms, though, in the place of culture change. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mind <laughs> is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> All right. So uh, then the next couple of points that you make, and we're moving on to this one about thinking about the place of moving from assessing individual learners to what Laura Lee Lingard might talk about as collective competence. And this seems like a no-brainer in healthcare where so much of the patient outcome is now dependent on teams and teamwork. Uh, and yet again, this is sort of easier said than done, John. Oh, yes. It's, I, 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 I love Laura Lee's work and she's absolutely right. This is, there's, this is no, it is a no-brainer. Um, but I, I think there's real there are real challenges that we need to resolve before we get there. Some of them some of them sort of conceptual and some of them practical. Um, so I, you know there's there's a little bit of a, a, a definitional issue around uh, what constitutes good teamwork. Um, it, it you know what what makes a good team performance um, are teams that are fixed as opposed to fluid in terms of their membership, I mean, that's a real, that's an incredible challenge. Um, uh, you know, is it, there's, there's all the interactions between the individuals on those teams, as well as the interactions with the patients or whatever the, 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 the event is. So it's really complicated uh, from an assessment perspective. And I think it's complicated from a, a definitional perspective. And you can't begin to think about assessment till you get some definitions and some purposes in place and then follow follow on those. So I think the first sort of conceptual issue is what exactly is it we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the second piece then is a practical issue. So so let's say that, that we, we do one of the things I, that folks have done, and I, I love it, is to do a simulation, a team simulation, which is um, brilliant stuff. But you know, you only have one scenario, and we all know and have known for a long time that performance is case or scenario specific. Um, you have two or three or four different members of the team, each of whom has different roles. The roles may shift over time. Uh, they're interacting with each other in ways that 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 that, that, that are complicated. Um, and so when you Think about putting all that together and then measuring somebody or assessing somebody on the basis of that. The practical problems become a challenge as well. So I, you know, I it, it's a no brainer on the conceptual level, but but boy, I think there's there's a lot of work to be done here, and I think mm. it's really wonderful work. If I were if I were uh, a young man, um, this would be one of the things I'd really think hard about uh, in terms mm. of devoting your career to because it's it's got to be fabulous stuff. Well, it's kind of 
glad you said that because that's pretty much what I'm devoting my career to at the moment. Good uh, spending my part. <laughs> <laughs> as a slightly middle-aged woman. Um, but, uh, but I think you're right, and I guess I will jump in here a little bit, and I think it's also very important in terms of then how we approach the training because like you I've I've noticed and lived through measures of teamwork and various things that have been teased out often to compare systems of team training by a so-called validated teamwork measure and I think it's a kind of unconvincing for all the reasons that you said and one of the things that we're certainly thinking about at the moment is the fact that if this assessment is predicated purely on observable behaviours, we actually miss a lot of what we do see in high-functioning teams, which are actually to do with a lot of the uh, values, beliefs, attitudes, shared goals that's underneath the observed behaviours. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it may be that we can spend more work in simulation working on those. And then, as you say, performance possibly is more generic than, than the specific context of is it a head injury or is it an abdominal injury in fact do these teams have a mutual trust and shared understanding of how they're going to work together in a major trauma situation may make it more generalizable so yes thank you i'm so pleased that you um, think that that's a good thing to be spending time oh, that's on. a great thing that, that that sounds like a lot of fun although it doesn't look like there are any easy answers <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not well <laughs> all right and then the last uh and perhaps most provocative uh, topic that you say needs work is thinking about assessment in complex adaptive systems. Uh, and, you know, this is a concept that's perhaps not new to people who've been to Harvard Macy programs because this is something that we discuss. The fact is our system performance is not purely technical and linear. It truly is fiddling with one bit will affect another bit uh, and so perhaps you can, though, step us through this. What do you mean when you say about the interaction of assessment within a complex adaptive system? Well, when we, when we say assessment, we typically think, as we just discussed, of summative assessment in some sort of educational setting. Um, but that's not the end of assessment, really. Uh, the, the data are used to make judgments about faculty sometimes. Uh, they're used to make judgments about curricula. They are used to, to, to establish the accountability of the educational institution. So there are a whole variety of purposes that, are assessment, that assessment serves in, this, in, the, in the context of a medical school or a, a postgraduate training setting. Yeah, so, so the, the, these are extraordinarily complex systems. And what we end up doing, unfortunately, is taking whatever assessment data we happen to have and use it for all of those purposes, regardless of whether it was developed for the purpose or whether it's particularly relevant. So one of the keys, and one of the keys I've certainly learned at Harvard Macy, is that, is that it's absolutely critical to lay out the purposes of the system in advance and then work in to, to how assessment is done and then where it's done and how that's all that's combined at the end of the day. Hmm. So I'm going to try and put a little tangible spin on this if it's all right. Let's say my emergency department wants to make sure that our 
performance in managing the airways of the trauma patients is excellent. What you're saying is that may involve thinking about uh, assessing the performance of the emergency department doctors and nurses with their technical skills. It might involve looking at how well does the organisational learn from looking at our performance and audit and feedback of what are some of the factors. It might also involve assessment of our environment and Uh, those sorts of things. Is that the sort of picture you're getting at? That's exactly the picture I'm getting at. So you've identified a a series of uh, potential concerns or issues around airway management. Uh, And it's not just the individuals, it's also the patients you see, or the, 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 as you said, the context, the environment, the team. Uh, so all of those things, all of those things contribute to this in, in Mm. important ways. And, and thinking about assessment, not just as assessment about of individuals, but thinking about using assessment broadly in terms of all of those objects of measurement, if you will, um, I think is I think is 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 really important. And that's one mm. of the things Harvard Macy's taught me. Yeah, and I think it puts a little bit of a focus on the overlap between what we've traditionally thought about as education and then the field of quality improvement or improving quality in healthcare, as Mary Dixon Woods would remind us, the two are different things. Uh, But they have quite different traditions, don't we? And this is one of the challenges here is that probably no one from quality improvement land is reading your article in academic medicine. Uh, that's true, but that's that's not just for this. That's, that, there, there are a whole variety of areas where, where we we in education have isolated ourselves. Um, I'll give you another example, which is sort of one of the things I like is is that looking at our assessments against patient data, patient outcomes, um, really requires more of a health services research kind of um, thinking uh, uh, in order to do that. And and we are isolated from health services research as well as QI, as well as a variety of fields. So I think there's really an opportunity for collaboration there and for beginning to expand what we're doing and making, uh, making, making what we're doing better. And I think technology is very relevant here because one of the opportunities is that all the so-called big data, and we've now got so much opportunity to collect information. But I think what you're saying is we need a little bit of wisdom to be able to say, why are we doing that and what are we going to do with it? Um, it's fine to have a black box full of numbers, but what do we do with it? Exactly. No, no question No question about it. I, I have to say that, that it, it is not possible to necessarily predict exactly what question you're going to want to ask. So collecting yep. a little more data than you need probably doesn't always hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but absolutely, we need to think about what it is we want to collect, why we're collecting it and what we're going to do with it. And we need to make sure that those things are aligned. And what happens today is we're taking our summative assessments and we're using them to give feedback, which is not what they should be doing. We use it for QI, which probably doesn't, isn't as good as necessarily not as optimal as it can be. So what we're doing today is confused. It's, it's taking what we have and seeing what works and, and throwing it together in a, in, a, in a way that I don't think is useful in the long run. Mm. All right. Well, this is probably timely then because you're throwing the challenge out there. And as we start to think about wrapping up, uh, you've written this as a, a commentary piece in academic medicine. We hope it's also now disseminated widely to plenty of clever people within the Harvard Macy community. Uh, you haven't really told us who should act here. Is it everybody? Are there key people whose actions are going to make a big difference for us to 
perhaps prevent the confusion and try and create more clarity? So I, I think one of the first things we need to do as a community, and Harvard Macy, in my view, has led the way in this, is to, is to get folks to begin to think about systems of assessment, to begin to think about what the characteristics are, to begin to think about, about how to do it, um, and that's a challenge as well, uh, and, and begin to think about alignment and a variety of other, uh, uh, other of these important concepts. Um, so I think, I think that's really the first step. We, we need to, we, the folks who are in education need to begin to think about this. Second thing is that I do think we need to begin to think about collaborating more broadly. So collaborating with the QI people, collaborating with the health services researchers. I think that there's a, a world of opportunity beyond our borders, uh, for, for, for cooperation uh, and for learning and for improving everybody's performance. So I, I, um, I, I think this is, I think it's an exciting time and a possibility of doing really good work going into the future that makes a difference. Yeah. A nice reminder to be continually outward looking as well as, uh, reflecting on the inward work that we're doing locally. Yeah. All right, John. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I've got a few extra things to think about now and reflect on as a result of this recording. Well, uh, this is Victoria Brazel signing off for the Harvard Macy Institute podcast and very pleased to be having John Norsini with us. So uh, we'll talk to you again next time. Mm-hmm.